today we have author, famous author, Jack Canfield with Miriam Laundry. Listen in as celebrities and amazing people share how they use their influence to change the world. Dive into their stories and discover their passion to keep living a legacy. Today, we have, you know, it's cold outside. I don't know if anybody's been outside yet, but, you know, when it's cold, one of the things we always like to do is have something warm in a bowl, right? Like some soup, some chicken soup. And, you know, today we're going to take it an even step further because we're having chicken soup for the soul author, famous author, Jack Canfield. And Jack, we're so excited to have you on the show today. And sure, you've written so many books. You've got, what, 66 bestsellers and international bestsellers and made such an impact all over the world. And along with Jack, he's written, he's co-authored a book with Miriam Laundry. Miriam's an actual Guinness world record holder as a children's author. And they've got a book they just released. We're excited because it's got such an incredible message. And then the two just getting to know them as well. So Jack and Miriam, welcome to the show. Yes. Welcome. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for having us. Well, you know, I would love to hear a little backstory on how you two came to collaborate on this. In a minute, we'll go into, I want to hear a little backstory on each of you, because Jack, you know, a lot of people know who you are and, and would love to hear some of that. But first, let's just hear how you two came to collaborate. And also with it, just tell us a little bit about the book, because the phrase I can is so powerful. I'll start by, I'll give you the context and I'll let Miriam end the story because she's really the last part of it. But what happened was I, I run live seminars. One was called Breakthrough to Success. And it was a week long program and basically teach people how to get from where you are to where you wanna be. And yeah. one of the exercises we do in that program is called uh, the I can't, I won't exercise. And we have people basically make a list of all, they talk to a partner. Like if I was talking to you, I'd say, I can't uh, you know, fly an airplane. You might say, I can't uh, walk on water. I might say, I can't get my grandson to clean up his room when he visits. And you know, I can't lose my pounds. I can't stop smoking, whatever. Right. We go back and forth like that. And then we have them go and change that sentence to, I won't. So I won't spend time with my grandson. I won't lose five pounds. I won't stop smoking. And you begin to realize right. it's not, you're not able to, it's just you're choosing not to. So Miriam was in the seminar and taking that and she went through that exercise, it had a huge impact on her. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to turn it over to her to finish the story. Yeah. Yes. So this takes me back to 2012. I was sitting at that seminar, um, Breakthrough to Success, it's called. And I mean, we were learning so many good things. I have four children. I had my youngest was just eight weeks old when I went to the seminar and the whole time I was there was, I was thinking, this is so great. Where would my life be now if I would have learned this when I was younger? You know, all right. of these great principles that Jack was teaching. And that one exercise really stuck with me because I started thinking about all the times that I had said can't in my life, how that word can't had limited right. me from going for businesses and doing different things. So that stuck with me. And on the flight home, I needed to come home with something to tell my children. So I had to choose one thing. And for the first time, I kept thinking about that word can't. And for the first time it flipped. 
I thought I can, I am going to go home and I'm going to start this business. I'm going to go home and I'm going to teach my children the power mm -hmm. of can. So on that flight home, I wrote the first draft to, I can believe in myself. And the idea was to get home and not just dump this information on the kids, but to entertain them through a story. Yeah. That's how I can believe in myself started. Man, I agree a thousand percent, right? The difference between I can't versus I won't. You know, I know about probably two years ago now, my wife came to me and we had, we had really, we've been married 20 years and we had really struggled for a season about five years ago. And, you know, it had been a couple years into it and she probably two years ago, she came to me and she's like, you know, one of the main things that changed for her that really helped our marriage and our communication is, is she, I guess, acknowledged it, but then she made the mental deal of going from, I have to, to, I get to, right. Which is similar to, I can, and I want, she's like, I get to do the dishes. You know, I get to, you know, all the stuff that we have to do around the house that none of us really, none of us want to do laundry. It's like, Hey, do you want to do the laundry? No. I don't. Do you want to clean up? Do you want to do the dishes? You want to, not really. Will I? Yeah. But going from, you know, I get to serve you guys. I get to be married. And that's one thing that, and that's why I love today's segment, right? From the day our children were born, I've told them, I'm so glad I get to be your daddy, right? Mm -hmm. I love being your daddy. I'm so grateful for you. And telling them, you know, when they would play cops and robbers, I'm like, you're the good guy. And they're like, well, we want to do this. And, you know, you're the bad. I was like, no, no, no. You're all the good guys. The invisible person out there, they're the bad guy. But you, you're a good guy. And I always wanted to build that into them, just like you're talking about here, because it's so easy for us to forget that I can and I get to rather than I can't or I have to, mm -hmm. um, because that, that shift. Jack, how did you, how did you come to this conclusion? How did you have this insight that, you, that you've been able to share with the world? Well, I probably, the, 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 the I can't part goes back to when I was a therapy client back in my probably early 30s. And I had a gestalt therapist who was really good. And yeah. he introduced me to this idea that your words are impacting your DNA. They're impacting right. your physical strength. Uh, one of the things we do in our trainings is we'll have people put their arm out like this. I'll push down on their arm muscle, test their strength. Then I'll have them say, I can't do something like I can't play the violin, their arm goes weak. And I'll have them say, I can play the violin, their arm goes strong. Now they may not have ever developed that talent, but the mere act of saying I can strengthens you and I can't weakens you. And so when I learned that and started applying it to my own life and I realized, wow, you know, how many things do we say I can't do? And we see it with kids all the time, you know, and now with COVID-19, it's so prominent. I can't see my grandparents. I can't go to school. I can't play with my friends. I can't go out and right. play soccer. You know, so there's a lot of can'ts that are there. Uh, I don't know if you know who W. Mitchell is. He's a good friend of mine who was burned over God, like 85% of his body or something. He was on a motorcycle and he went down and the gas tank started to leak and caught on fire and he burned up all over the place. And his total face is burned. He still has his hair because his helmet protected him from that. But he, his fingers fused. He, he doesn't have the fingers like you and I do. It would look more like a fist. And he said, I remember, I'll never forget this. He said, I had to sit there and say, there's a lot of things I can't do. Maybe 200 things. I can't play the piano. I can't play tennis. I can't throw a baseball. But I said, what can I do? And he made a list. I can speak. Right. I can still enjoy good wine. I can... Yeah. 
he actually learned to drive a car. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's climbed up mountains. He's, he's, he's a great uh, motivator. He can make love. You know, there's a lot of things he still can do. And he said, I decided to focus on the thousand things I could do rather than two or three right. things I couldn't do. And that's what made me successful. And I want to add one more thing. You talked about turning have-tos into get-tos. There's an even, I want to take it even a step higher. I have okay. a friend uh, who literally had to get a, um, lost his front tooth. And so he had to get a replacement. Yes. So he said, how can I turn this have to and a get to? And so what he did, he eventually took it out. But for four years, he had a gold tooth with a diamond in the middle, like, like a setting of diamond. <laughs> and he said, that was really fun. That got to be a little bit ridiculous after a while because he was doing corporate trainings. But he started teaching everyone, when you have to do something, how can you make it even more fun and make it into a get to? I used to work in Culver City, California and lived about mm, 10 minutes away. But I have to get on the 405 to drive north to get to where I live in, in Mar Vista. And the 405 has often been referred to as a parking lot. It's right. 12 lanes wide, six in both directions. And it's rush hour, you might be going five, 10 miles an hour. So I said, how can I turn this have to into a get to? And I turned it into every time I was driving home, I played a game. And the game was how many points could I get? And uh -huh. six lanes wide, if I get in the right lane and I'm really clever, I can get ahead. And every time I passed a car, I gave myself a point. And sometimes if you got in the right lane, you're passing five cars in a row, five right. points, 10 points, 15 points, stupid game. But I had fun. And then if it was not moving at all, and it was total stop stuff, then it was right. how many times do I have to touch the brakes? Can I get home without ever having to hit the brake? <laughs> you leave too much room in front of you, then someone pulls in. Right. You have to hit the brakes. So you got to be paid. Every day I was having this game, which used to be a pain in the ass driving home, and then it turned into a game. So you can right. turn most have tos into get tos. That's Absolutely. So true. And Miriam, how do you take, again, getting to Jack's seminar? What were you trying to improve or look for in your business and your life by choosing to go see Jack? Yeah, so, so at that time in 2012, 2012 changed my life, I have to say, you know, um, it started off with my son being born. And then the following day, we lost my 17 year old niece to suicide. Mm -hmm. So, so that changed everything. And, um, and my husband actually suggested that I go to Jack Canfield's seminar. I was spiraling into my own dark hole. I was, you know, so many emotions, the grief and then the baby blues. I, I was in a dark place. So yeah. that's what got me there. And then that week, I just kept thinking about, you know, my niece and losing her and what can I do to prevent that from happening? Like, what are the little nuggets that I can bring home and teach my kids and then teach other children? So. I had never thought of writing a children's book before, but it was really just what can I do? And my books don't deal straight on, you know, we don't talk about suicide in yeah. children's books, but I, I really believe that by teaching them little bits, like, you know, to let go of the word can't, to believe that you can do things, to believe that tomorrow is a new day. And, and you know, that's all I was thinking about my niece. Yeah. Um, then that would help those children, right? Like mental health is, is such a, that's really a pandemic. That's a huge pandemic, right? It is. So that's what got me there. And everything changed since attending that seminar in 2012 for me. Agree. And that's that definitely, we have those transformational moments, Eric. You talk about that in a lot of the shows, right, Eric? That you had your we transformational do. moment. Yeah. I mean, anywhere from, you know, some of them huge, like, you know, when we interviewed Rick Allen, right? So Rick's the drummer for Def Leppard. 
you know, which everybody's heard of and stuff, but the guy lost his arm in a car wreck in the eighties after they had made it huge, but they actually made it much and he became known as the God of thunder after he lost his arm. Right. So I can't play drums again. I mean, you, when you're a world renowned drummer, he, he became in the band when he was 14 years old on his 14th birthday. Right. So he wasn't like this full grown man who had a degree, but then he loses his arm and most people would say, I'll never drum again. I mean, you've got one arm and you're a drummer, right? Exactly. And then he just decides, no, I can. And now, you know, they work with wounded warriors and all these people with PTSD that have had a major trauma of learning that, you know, it's really just as Jack teaches every day, right? And, and Jack and Miriam, you both are teaching right now to, to our children, but really their parents who are reading it to them as well, of no, you can't. But then there's also little things, right? As, as Miriam, you referenced in... You know, there's so many different areas where where we tell ourselves we can't do this. And Jack, you know, I can, I can do all this. But, you know, our, our very first interview back in, in March of last year was with actor Patrick Warburton. And it was literally day one of the COVID lockdowns in California, like day one. He's like, we're in lockdown and uh, officially, but of course, families had been together because all the stuff that was going on. And, you know, there's so much of people just I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to keep my job. Do you remember, you know, we didn't have toilet paper. You know, that was like in the heat of no toilet paper. And it was so, you know, all of those things we could talk about. And, but what does Patrick say? He's like, man, I'm so grateful. You know, I've got three grown kids and they're at home and we go for walks and we play board games and we drink wine and, you know, cause they're out of college and stuff. And he was like, you know, it's, it's what we get rather than all the stuff that we can't control. Right. You know, right now we've got so much going on in the economy, politically and economically and all that, that, that there's a lot of fear. But the reality is we can't control any of that. What we can control is the way we communicate and the way we treat other people around us. You know, that said, I would love to hear, Jack, I would love to hear some of the messages that you've received over the years on how this has impacted, you know, the, the Chicken Soup series and other books that you've written you know, how it's impacted people. Well, every book I've ever written impacted people differently, depending yeah. on the topic of the book. But uh, the first book I ever wrote was 100 Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in the Classroom. It was a book for teachers about how to raise kids' self-esteem. Because my experience, uh, along with Neil, started out as being a teacher. And I taught in an all-Black high school in Chicago in the inner city in 1968, the year Martin Luther King was killed. So it was a pretty radical year there. And what I noticed kind of mid first semester was my kids didn't believe in themselves. They didn't think they were as smart as white kids. Most of them had never been more than eight blocks away from their home. They had all kinds of negative self-image and self-concept. And so I became more interested in building their self-esteem than I was in teaching history. And as a result of that, I got the teacher of the year award at the end of the year, which I was not expecting. I didn't even know there was such a thing because my first year of teaching. And um, but as a result of that, the teachers in the school started asking me to teach them what I was doing. And I had gone to a seminar with a man named W. Clement Stone, who was a friend of Norman, not Norman Peel, but- um, Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill, who wrote Thinking Grow Rich, was his good friend. And he taught me all these techniques I could do in the classroom to develop these kids' belief in themselves. So that was the beginning of it for me. So the first book I wrote was for parents and teachers. And then, uh, you know, I started training teachers, built a company around training teachers. And then a recession hit in 1993 and teachers, the schools were not hiring anybody. 
And so I had to shift my attention to doing public seminars, working in corporations. And that's when the chicken soup book started to happen. When people would say that story you told about the Girl Scout who sold 3000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies in one year, that story about the one-legged guy who climbed Mount Everest, a story about the kid with no arms and legs who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, and I'd say, uh, they're not in the book. And they'd say, well, they need to be. My daughter needs to read it. My staff needs to hear it, you know. So I'm coming home on a flight from Boston and I'm thinking, it's like the old V8 commercials where the guy slaps his head and says, I should have had a V8. And I'm thinking, I should put these stories in a book. So I, I gave myself the task to do two stories a week for a year and come up with 100 stories. And I did and met Mark Victor Hansen along the way and we collaborated and it was a great collaboration. And very quickly, we started getting letters from people. My sister who did our Teenage Soul book that was one of the sequels has, I think, over 2,000 letters to kids that said I didn't commit suicide because of your book because they felt inspired and empowered to live their life and go for their dreams. I remember a letter from a, a, a 81 year old woman who said, I thought my life was over. All my friends had died, even my doctors had died. And she said, I thought my life was over. But then I read that one story about this guy who had traveled around the world. So I decided to do a round the world trip. And I now have more friends. I'm doing things I never did before. Uh, you know, so we, we would get letters. I literally just, last year threw away 12 garbage bags full of letters saying how our books had changed people's lives because it just I had no room for them anymore. They were them in dresser drawers in my office. I had three dressers full of them. And it's like, I remember a story, we were walking through the lobby of a New York hotel after Mark and I had received a book award. And there was this girl who was uh, bald and she was obviously a cancer patient going through chemo or radiation. So we went over and just said hi, because I like to do that with kids. And we, she said, what are you doing here? I said, we just got this award. Well, what for? Chicken soup and soul. Oh my God, I read that story, those books every day. That's what keeps me from throwing up after chemo, you know? And, and so it was like, just knowing that these books were helping people, that's what kept us going and doing more and more and more and more and more. And as you indicated in the introduction, we now have over 250 Chicken Soup for the Soul books. They're in 50 languages around the world. There's over uh, half a billion books sold. And it's it's been a phenomenon. But I, I could die tomorrow. I don't plan to. I plan to live to be 100 at least. But I know my life's mattered. And Miriam's the same thing. She's written all these books for her kids, uh, starting with, uh, we, we wrote a book together too called The Big Bad Bully which is all about how the inner critic is the bully that's bullying you the most. And she wrote that based on one of her daughter's experiences. And, um, you know, her Guinness Book World Record, which you talked about, I'll let her talk about it, but she had like 103,000 people on, on, on uh, the internet at one point in time, all discussing her book. And that's, and, and she got, that started, I think, at, at one of our trainings as well. You met the guy from a mall. Tell that story, it's really fascinating. Yeah, for sure. sure. I mean, for me, so much has started um, from learning Jack's teachings, right? The success principle is, is that book. But I was sitting, I'm one of the trainers for the Campfield group. And I was sitting at one of the, the trainings and Jack had us write our breakthrough goal. What's your, your big, big goal? And for me, I, was, I wanted to empower children. I wrote down mm -hmm. that I wanted to empower 100,000 children to believe in themselves. And then I set a date. Uh, within the year. I'll just say that when I wrote that, I don't know if you know this, Jack, as soon as I wrote that, I, 
I dropped the pen. I got so flustered because I thought, why would you ever think of a hundred thousand kids? Why didn't you just write a thousand kids? At the time I had just visited, started visiting schools. I didn't know how I was going to do that. But as Jack always does, he had us turn to the person on your left, share your goal, turn to the other person, share your goal. And nobody laughed. I started getting a little bit more confidence that I can do this. I could do that. So uh, probably a month later, I, I figured out that the best way for me to do that was to go for a Guinness World Record, to do something big so that I can yeah. impact a lot of children. So we did it during Mental Health Awareness Week in Canada. I got schools all over the country to participate. But when I returned to another one of the next training, I met a gentleman that lived in Switzerland and Spain. He had two homes. And uh, I gave him a copy of the book and I was just asking everybody to participate. Please pass this on to children, help us get this Guinness World Record and bring awareness to mental health. And he said, okay, I'll pass it on. Um, <laughs> and he turned out to be really high up in the Nikon organization, which is a multi-level uh, marketing company. And so from there, the, CE, the CEO called me and they backed me up. They had, in the end, we had people in 29 different countries participate and it was their own sales mm -hmm. team, their own people that were bringing me on for interviews, translating what I was saying, but everybody got behind um, this record and what we were doing. So that was really, really neat uh, just to see how doing something good can spread and can spread to so many places. So Miriam, I'm a little confused and I think Jack can also clarify this for me. We talked about when you, after you first attended one of Jack Canfield's events, that's when you came up with an idea to write a book, write a children's book. So why is this book later in the process if you've done the bully book already? Cause this I can book was supposed to be for this, right? Jack, you guys had this in mind all that time ago. Why did it take time to do this one compared to co-authoring a bully book and also other books you've written? Okay, very good question. So I'll explain that. I got home and I self-published the book. I was in a hurry and I did it all myself to publish the book. I self-published three books in the series, in the I Can series. And then for when I got the idea of the big bad bully, I wasn't in a hurry because when you go to a traditional publisher, it takes years to get your book out there. Um, when I wrote the big bad bully, I just knew I wanted something bigger. I wanted a traditional publisher and I contacted Jack. I sent him an email and I said, this is what I've learned from your classes. This is how it's affecting my children's lives. I really think we should co-author this together. And of course he's so good at writing. Can you edit it? And, and then he thought of adding exercises to the back of the big bad bully. That was our first book together that came out in 2019. And our publisher now has picked up my other books. So I can believe in myself has been completely redone and now with a traditional publisher and with Jack's insights in the book. So Jack, question for you. When you first wrote the first Chicken Soup, where did the progression come to come up with the other, you know, different soups for the different areas? Yeah, it's a great question. So what happened was the first book we wrote, I thought we were writing one book in and out. <laughs> and um what happened was, if you know anything about printing, what happens is they print things in folios, usually like 16 pages. They print them all, and then they fold them up, and then you get, and if the book doesn't take up all those pages at the end, you get some blank pages. Now, mostly you'll see advertisements for the next book, for somebody's coaching program in the back of a nonfiction book, whatever. 
But at that time, our publisher called me and he said, Jack, I've got three empty pages in the back of the book. Do you want to write anything? Do you want to promote anything? And he said, you got an hour because we're going to press in an hour. <laughs> you got an hour. So I quickly penned the paragraphs. It said, it, a big title, More Chicken Soup? Question mark. I said, if you have a story, a true story, a poem, something that would be inspirational, like the stories in this book, uh, please send them. Here's the address, you know, box 308 or whatever it was. Right, right. And what happened was when the book came out, we started getting 10, 15, 20, 50, eventually 100 stories a day. They were bringing <laughs> a day. Big like bankers boxes. You've seen these post office sometimes they have, and it would deliver two or three of them to our, our door, you know, for my company. And I had to hire two younger women to come in and just read, open all the mail, read all the stories, decide if they were worthy or not. The good ones, then Mark and I would read. And uh, so then that turned into a second helping of chicken soup, a third serving, a fourth course, a fifth bowl, a sixth pot. And then uh, what happened was uh, this woman named Marcy Shimoff, who was one of my students, called me and said, you should do a book called Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul. First time a theme. I said, yeah. that's a great idea. Thank you. And I started to hang up. And she said, wait a minute. And I said, what? She <laughs> said, you should co-author it with me. And I said, why would I do that? She said, two reasons. Number one, it was my idea. And number two, I'm a woman. It'll have more credibility. <laughs> so she was right, of course. So we published Chicken Soup for the Women's Soul. And then that started to happen. Uh, a veterinarian contacted us and said, you should do Chicken Soup for the Pet Lover Soul. And I'm thinking, that's stupid. And then he said, do you know there's three pets for every human being in America? For every human being, there's three pets, three animals. Oh my God. Okay, you just enrolled me. So we did Chicken Soup for the wow. Pet Lover Soul. I think we sold 6.5 million copies of that book the first year. And then it turned into, uh, Baseball fan soul, you know, a romantic soul, and what we call golden soul for people over 60. And it was just kept niching out. And then eventually people started approaching us saying, by the way, I'm a big basketball writer and you should yeah. do basketball fan soul. And so it just kept morphing out. I used to teasingly say, when you see chicken soup for the Rhode Island soul, you know, we're, we're getting down to the bottom of the barrel of good ideas. <laughs> but but it, just kept, it just kept evolving to this day. And now what's happening is... There are people in India contacted us and said, let's do chicken soup for the Indian soul, like the country India. So we have chicken soup for the Indian oh, woman wow. soul, chicken soup for the Indian cricket fan soul, chicken, you know, and it's just like, it just keeps unfolding. Keeps going and going and going. Now I want to go back to Miriam's story. Now, Miriam, you left that the event, you wrote the children's book, but what ways did you kind of transform your life through Jack's teachings to going into, you know, writing more books and then also really making it a business? We want to hear about that. Yes. So at first the, I published the books and I started going into schools. So I would go in and do workshops with the kids. So they'd invite me in, I'd go in, read the story. And then I always wanted there to be um, a teaching moment. So the whole thing with when I wrote the first draft of I Can Believe in Myself, it took me a long time to come up with Shreddy. I don't know if you've come, if you've read the story, but Shreddy is, um, is a paper shredder, which the girl in the story decorates as her show and tell. So the story is that this little girl has been chosen as the star of the day. She has to get up in front of the class and speak, and she believes she can't do it. Uh oh. So through the story, she sees that her friends are also saying, I can't. And at that moment, she couldn't speak because she has made up a, a little 
you know, a little lie that she has a sore throat. That's why she can't speak in front of the class. And she sees her friend saying, I can't tie my shoelaces. I can't do the monkey bars. And she starts realizing that that word is stopping them from doing it. So she decides she's going to get up and speak in front of the class. And she, she decorates a paper shredder, which she calls shreddy. And the whole idea is she gets up and she writes, um, I can't speak in front of the class and she shreds it. So we see Ooh. it disappear. And I just, yeah. I want, I wanted a visual when I went to schools for children to write their own I can'ts, mm -hmm. bring them up when I was there with them and then we would shred it together. And now we're letting that can't go, it's gone. And mm -hmm. now start saying, I can do it. So there's, that's one exercise. Um, that's that's the exercise in the book. But at the back of the book, J Jack has written several exercises that kids can do to let go of the word can't. One of them, um, Jack, why don't you share that one? And then I'll, I'll answer your question a little bit more, Neil. Sure. There's, there's a number of things we have them do. We have them make affirmations. Think of all the things on your list where you can't do it and then reverse it to I can do it and then make an affirmation and then repeat that affirmation, have them on cards, put them on your desk, put them on your mirror at home, things like that. We also give a teacher's option and parents, like, you know, you could take your kids, uh, you know, you mentioned you have six children. I don't know how, what age they are, but you can do a family ritual where everyone writes down their I can'ts. You take them out and you bury them in the backyard. You read a, a eulogy, you know, here lies our friend I can't, you know, he's yeah. in many places in the world, including our nation's capital and all the government places, et cetera. But he dies today. He's survived by his cousins. I will, I can, and, you know, things like that. So you can have a lot of fun with it. Um, we, we have a number of different, different exercises like that. I'm trying to remember what the other one is. Oh, we have a thing called the I can card where teachers can give the kids a card and say, I can. Now you have to bring it to school every day and put it on your desk. And the idea is you can actually do that for a whole semester because most kids lose everything. And uh, basically <laughs> it's, it's a goal that shows them when they have intention, they can actually do anything they want. And so that's a, a, a powerful exercise as well. But yeah. There, yeah, there's a lot of things like that. And then we have a book like my 100 ways to enhance self-concept in the classroom. I have a curriculum self-esteem in the classroom that parents and teachers can get. But there's a lot of activities like that that are, that are available. Mm -hmm. So Neil, that, that was very important for me for, yes. to be able to yeah. change children's lives just with, with an example, with a tangible, something that they could do. So I started by going to schools. I did a lot of school visits over many, many years. And over the last year and a half, my new I can is that I can teach aspiring children's book authors That's to true. write their own motivational stories and publish those. So I've been mentoring aspiring authors to do that. And that's been, I, I love every moment of that because it yeah. starts with children teaching them that they can. And now it's adults that exactly. have a dream of publishing their books, but they don't know how to do it. And you know what they're thinking. I can't do it. I can't write. I didn't go to school for this. You know, I can't put myself out there. I can't get up and speak. So it's changing. I can't to I can for everybody. That, that's what really inspires me. So you're living that's greatness, that mission, that mission that you learned from Jack and living it throughout in the children's book world and in your life with your kids too. So that's fantastic. Right. Yes, absolutely. So in regard to this, you know, one thing that I think is huge that obviously Jack, you've been a, a major mentor to Miriam 
Who have been your mentors that helped you get started and, and kind of take action at times? Well, I've had a number of them. Uh, I would say my first one was when I was uh, in college. I had a history professor kind of take me under his wing and believe in me. I think it was just being believed in was so important. Yeah. Told me I could do anything. And uh, I, I, I believed him. And then I took a class my senior year. I was a Chinese history major, believe it or not, in college. Thought I was going to go into the State Department. But what happened was I became, I took an elective class for an easy A. I said to my counsel, I need an easy A. I don't want to work yeah, yeah. my last semester. And so I took this course called Social Relations 10. It was a psychology course. It was really like an encounter group. We just sat around, talked about our feelings, talked about our goals, a lot of things we talk about today and, and work that I do. And I went, I want to grow up and do this. So then I was able to go to the University of Chicago, taught, taught school for a while, was able to start integrating that into my classroom. And then I met W. Clement Stone, who I mentioned, who yeah. was uh, worth $600 million. And I worked for his foundation, teaching teachers. Uh, I can, you know, we, we call it the Achievement Motivation Program. How do you motivate people to believe they can achieve things, to set yeah. goals? to do affirmations, to do visualization, to take action, to have a mastermind group, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he was my major mentor for several years. And then I went back to graduate school to get a doctorate. I had several professors there that were incredible. One was a guy named Sidney Simon, who was a values clarification expert who taught me about values and also just put his arm around me and said, you're special, you can do it. And he helped me yeah. get my first book contract. I wrote my first book while I was still a doctoral student, The Hundred Ways in the, in the, in the, to self, Enhance Self-Esteem in the Classroom. And then I would say, I, I, I went to Jesse Jackson's church in Chicago for a number of years when I lived there. Oh, wow. And while Jesse and I were not friends really close, I didn't meet him, but going to his church every Sunday and watching how he would motivate the black masses in Chicago, they had Operation Bootstrap, which is pull, you know, if the white man's not gonna lift you up, you have to pull your own bootstraps up. Right. And I took all that in, you know, that, that it was applied to me as well. And so the idea, I can do it. We can be entrepreneurs, we can be successful. Uh, that was an important mentorship for me. And then I think I moved from mentors into mastermind groups and yeah. just having five or six people working together you know, I had a, my first mastermind group, I had a guy that was an editor at Playboy. He was the editor of Playboy magazine, not because I was interested in that content, but I wanted someone that knew the writing world. And he did. Right. Another guy in my mastermind group was a chiropractor who knew all about holistic health. Another person was someone who was consulting with American Express. So I was learning about business and, and distribution and marketing. And so basically they became more peers than they were mentors. Yeah. Uh, the, the, to this day, I always am in like three or four different mastermind groups like that. Such because a, we got to be learning, right? We yeah. got to be asking questions. It's got to be. You're, you're, you know, I don't know if it was Bob Dylan or someone said, you know, you're either busy growing or you're busy dying. Right. And me, you know, my my greatest happiness, and we did a, I did something called the passion test a, a year ago with a, a couple years ago with Janet Atwood that she wrote a book about it. And my number one passion is being with conscious people, learning from them, and then finding out what I can take back and teach to my students. And when right. I'm doing that, either side of that, being the learner or being the teacher, I'm 100% dialed into what I'm about. So my life purpose is to inspire and empower people 
to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. And so anything I can learn to help me do that, whether it was NLP or EFT tapping or guided visualization or meditation, I'm the first one to want to learn it and then turn around and teach it. How do you keep yourself, Miriam, from not saying, ah, having that what if, I, maybe I shouldn't try this, maybe I shouldn't do this. How do you keep yourself from not doing that and keep moving forward to continue to expand what you do? It's very easy. I have four sets of eyes that are watching everything that I do. And <laughs> that that's my biggest motivator, truly. You know, it started off wanting to make a difference in their lives. My oldest was... Um, maybe nine at the time, she's now 17, going off to university in September, right. my youngest is eight. And I just know that my time with them is limited. Yeah. So this pandemic being at home with them, like there's nothing I'm gonna complain about. I have a little bit more time with them. So, you know, my oldest two are, are girls. And so they're 15 and 17. And I want them to see a strong woman that believes in herself, that can yeah. be a good mom. And I had this limiting belief for a long time that I couldn't be a good mom and be there for my kids and have a business. So through those seminars, through learning, through growing myself, I now wanna show them that yes, you can be a mom, you can be a wife and you can have a career or a business and do all of that. And I don't wanna be telling them because that doesn't work with teenagers. I just want them to see it. And, and, and I think that's going to be the biggest impact that I can have for them. So Absolutely. I continue to learn. I continue to learn and put myself in those rooms, masterminds. I'm in several masterminds, one of them Jack's. I'm in other masterminds because, well, we all need that community for one, to True. learn from each other. And then it's, it's a bit of socializing also, but right. you're learning as you're having fun. And I think if we continue to grow, I think that's what brings happiness in the end. For me anyways, yeah. yes. And that's what my mentor teach, taught me, G.J. Uh, Reynolds, co-owner of Women of Faith. And I learned, met him at Visalis and his, from his book, is surround yourself with the right people. You got to surround yourself with the right people. And through those right people, they will lead you to the next opportunity in the best situation. If we're surrounding ourselves with people that bring us down, don't get us excited every day, and we don't learn from them, then we're not with the right people. And that's that's what Jack teaches with his mastermind. And that's what Miriam's learning from masterminds as well. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that that really stood out with, you know, what I'm hearing today and what we're talking about and just one of our beliefs is, is exactly what Neil's saying, right? You've got to surround yourself with people who are being positive that believe in, and sometimes that's the person that's ahead of you, but sometimes it's the person that's behind you. You know, it's, you know, sometimes it's the young ones. That's like you said, Miriam, I got four eyes watching me, right. Or four sets of eyes watching me. Um, sometimes it's that mentor who's, who's taken a step ahead of you like Jack's been. But I think for all of us, it's realizing that every one of us can be an encourager. Every one of us can be a mentor, just like, just like Shreddy, right. You know, you can look around and see, man, I'm not the only one who's struggling here. And, you know, if we can take these I can'ts and just shred them, you don't have to have a PhD, but it, it's, Jack, it's, it's been helpful, right? Because it's allowed people to go, well, you know, it's, it's, yeah, he's got that. So we all want to, we all want to keep pressing and keep going, but just because you don't have the PhD or if you haven't written a hundred or 200 or 300 books, you know, you can still be an encourager and a mentor and a, and a I can person. So, you know, tell us kind of what's on the horizon that each of you see personally and, and uh, where you would like to, maybe a project you'd like to work on. 
Well, for me, what's on the horizon, uh, you know, Miriam and I are going to do some more books together. That's, that's coming yeah. up. Uh, I'm working on a couple books by myself. One's about choosing love over fear in your life, which I think is really important right now in the world we live in. Yeah. Uh, I'm writing a book called Living the Success Principles, which is 101 stories of people who either read the success principles or came to a workshop like Miriam did, and the extraordinary success that they had. Ordinary people that have accomplished extraordinary things. Yeah. You know, the, what made chicken soup so relevant to people is these were ordinary people who were taking risks, overcoming obstacles, learning right. to love more, whatever it might be, the kind of thing you go, wow, if they can do it, I can do it. So that's a huge thing that I want to continue doing. Uh, we've got a training program. Uh, Miriam mentioned that we train trainers to teach our work. We've now got about close to 4,000 certified trainers uh, in 117 countries teaching the success principles. Yeah. My goal is to have a million people by the year 2030. Um, so right now, the next step is to train trainers of trainers so that people like Miriam can turn around and certify other trainings, trainers right. and to identify leaders in different countries like China and Europe and Japan and so forth. I was just talking to a guy in Japan last night about him becoming that person for Japan. And so ultimately building up a worldwide organization. And um, that's, that's really huge for me. And then uh, I would say the other thing is just continuing to stay alive. You know, I'm 76. So I'm focused on health and longevity and exercise and meditation and rest and eating the right foods and all that good stuff. So, um, but I would say the training, the tra leaving a legacy, the books are there, they'll be there but having other people that are teaching other people that are teaching other people that are teaching other people. I believe all this stuff should be taught in schools. There should be a course called life skills that most people never learned. I was a history teacher. Nobody ever got divorced because they didn't learn the five exports of Argentina or the three causes of the civil war. They got divorced because they never learned how to, <laughs> how to get along, how to solve problems. Right. right. Person in the first place. So kids need to learn how to, manage their emotions, manage money, manage their uh, thoughts and so forth. So that's, that's, that's where I'm headed. Absolutely. Miriam, can you add to it for your, where you're headed? Yes, of course. There are always a lot of plans and I, I love to, to be busy and to, like I said before, be, be an example. So um, for me, we continue to write books. This book is being released um, in February and, uh, a big part of my business this year is teaching aspiring authors how to write, publish, and market their books. We have um, Jack and I co-host um, co a webinar where we teach people some of the fundamentals in doing that. But I continue to do that. I have a mastermind group where I mentor these authors to be able to publish their own books. But a big thing that I'm doing this year is uh, I've partnered with Pencils of Promise. I don't know if you've heard of the organization. They build mm -hmm. schools in different countries in the world and they um, provide the funding for education and to pay for teachers. So one of my, my big get, give back component this year with any, any proceeds from my part of this book and also from my courses is to build a school in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. My family is from South America. So that's, that's dear to my heart. And I yeah. think that's one of the next things I can do. That's my next thing to do with my children, to be able to show them that we are blessed to be a blessing 
to other people. So just even with, you know, they have little jobs, you know, giving part of that for me, giving part of what I, I make in my business and then partnering with other people that want to help us build this school in Guatemala. So that's a, that's a big part of this year. And I'm, I'm so excited about it. It just definitely seems like you're so excited. And then, and that's uh, Eric, I think that living a legacy, which is the name of this show, in so many ways, Eric, they are living a legacy. You're pretty much, they've answered the question for you already, Eric. <laughs> they have, you know, because what we talk about, right, any on every segment, right, living legacy is how celebrities and amazing people are using their influence to impact the world around them. And that's exactly what you guys are doing are, are, as telling stories because people connect with stories so much better than they do with just facts. So rather than answering the question for you, you know, I would love to know whether it's personally, professionally, relationally, spiritually, any, any way, you know, as you're living your legacy today and coaching and mentoring and training, what do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I used to think a lot about that. And I, the more I thought about it, it was like my ego wanted to be remembered. You know? <laughs> But I, you know, if I, I want people to know that I, I was someone who loved. I think, you know, that's my major quality is love and second would be yeah. joy and fun. And that I cared, that I made a difference. And I think the legacy, which we kind of mentioned was um, leaving all these trainers that can continue to do this work. Right. We've had people, uh, there was a big earthquake in, in, in Pakistan a few years ago and, and Tibet and Nepal and all these places. And my wife had been in Nepal about a week before that happened only to find out later that two of our trainers were in Nepal and they went from village to village to village after the earthquake, running day-long seminars for people whose houses had collapsed to inspire them that they could rebuild because they had kind of given up hope. Wow. So knowing that that kind of thing is happening, uh, I, I belong to an organization called the Unstoppable Foundation where we build schools in Africa, much like Miriam wants to do in Ecuador. Uh, I belong to the Pachamama Alliance. I give them hundreds of thousands of dollars to um, basically save the rainforest because if we don't have oxygen on the planet, we're not going to live. Yeah. Uh, so a lot, I, I, I feel like my money is at work doing good things, but I think my biggest legacy will be the Success Principles book, having gathered all these principles together. Books like I Can Believe in Myself, the children's book series. It'll be taught, you know, people will use these books for maybe 50 to 100 years from now as classic books to help educate children. And um, that's really, that that's fulfilling enough for me. Well, I, I do feel I shared a lot of that, but you know, what comes up for me and, and my biggest goal is to launch for amazing kids into the world, right? So uh, what I'm able to teach them, and now I've started bringing the older ones, the, the girls, the teenagers, I took them to Jack Canfield's Breakthrough to Success where it all started for me. This is uh, pre-COVID. I took them for the week, you know, yeah. one was 15 and one was 15. And I think she was the youngest person there at that time. And, and I just figured if they get one little thing that can help them later on in life, that will be amazing. And now that girl is 15. And when I'm part of Jack's mastermind um, coaching program, when I'm listening to it in my office, she's sitting in the corner on the couch with her own notebook, taking that's notes great. for herself. So just to be able to teach them younger, like that's always been my thing, right? Where would my life be had I learned this younger? Now I want to teach my kids and other kids. So, so that's a legacy to me. That's a legacy. Absolutely. You know, 
I still, our, our kids are, we've got a 17 year old son and a 15 year old daughter, right? And we're getting ready to launch. I mean, he's a junior in high school. She's a sophomore. And, you know, my wife's like, okay, T minus, you know, 350, you know, how many <laughs> days? And I'm like, I'm like, but I need, I need 10 more seconds, right? So I'm the one that's like holding on. Um, but when they were born, talking about, you know, that's why I love this, right? And the, I can is when they were born, somebody gifted us with a book called Love You Forever. And, you know, I read that to them. And I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm just like bawling, such a great book. And then it's amazing how there's no lyrics, like there's no cassette to it. But I think every one of us in the country sings the same melody, just because you read it, right? So our kids, you know, 17 and 15, we still, you know, we'd put them to bed every night, you know, our son and daughter doesn't quite let us do it. Our son never lets us do it anymore, <laughs> uh, other than rub his back. But, you know, we'll still sing that song. And, and there's certain songs that we sing them every night for, for a solid 12 years that they would allow us, almost 13 years that, that we did every single night. And that was one of them. Even though we didn't read the book anymore, it still lasted and it made an impact. And it made such a huge impact. And, and as I'm watching what you're doing, especially Jack, as you're telling these stories, but it's like dropping that rock in the water and you just see the ripples go out is, you know, your legacy is, you know, I'm trying to live a life that shares a message. But what's amazing is, you know, the trainers and trainers are trainers. So, you know, final question, because I know we're out of time is, you know, there's people that are hurting right now, right? In the midst of all that's going on in COVID and everything, what message of encouragement would you just like to give people? Just a little bit of hope. Well, one of the cliches, but it's so true, is this this too shall pass. It yeah. will. And I always tell people, you have everything you need to do anything you want, no matter where you find yourself. You yeah. have to bring yourself. You have the talent, the skills, the knowledge. And you can reach out to get the knowledge you don't have. You have the capacity to get on the phone, to get on the internet, to call a neighbor, to reach out out and so don't feel like you have to do it alone you know a lot of people are isolated right now they feel like they're alone but we i was just coaching a person this morning you know get on the phone get on the zoom call call somebody reach out don't don't think you're a burden think you're someone who deserves support think you're someone that can uh, weather the storm you know we all deserve to, to to be supported and to support so if you're someone who's got enough, whether it's money or time or self-esteem, reach out to those who don't. I always say, be a teacher to those below you, be a fellow traveler to those on the same level and be a student to those above you. So it could also be, be a giver to those who need, be a taker when you need it from those who are willing to give and don't be ashamed of that. And just remember, there's lots of resources on you know your your program is a resource podcasts are a resource tedx talks are a resource youtube videos are a resource there's so much information Uh, avail yourself of it because you deserve it you will survive you will get through this that's great message again the book is available coming out miriam in february correct that's right february 23rd and it's available on amazon.com amazon any amazon i should say all right guys thank you for joining us we are so grateful that you're here the message was encouraging it's exactly what we need to hear today i can't wait to get a copy of the book and thank you for joining us on living legacy thanks for listening join us next time for another amazing episode of living a legacy